Uh, yep, yeah, that's your mic. I could mic us up. The sound quality is better like this. Sure, microphones. Podcast. Yeah. They're good vocal mics. These are the kinds of microphones that we used to use growing up in church for singing and stuff. Welcome to uh, episode, I think, three of Garage Monologues, season three. Sitting here with my buddy Matt, Matt Jordan, uh, who you may recognize from recent posts in Lapland. We were up in Finland together for his 40th birthday. Successful fourth decade. He's completed it. He's topped it. And uh, so he's joined me here for round two of the cheese. We have a bunch of cheese here that Emily was nice enough to get me uh, because... We were in Finland, and I wouldn't have time to get the podcast out on time and also go get the cheese in advance, because I was also on a TV show this morning, which we can talk about at some point over the course of this episode, but we have another 12 cheeses to try, uh, some really good ones in here, also one really terrible one, but we're going to be trying 12 new cheeses, and the price tag is a quarter of what it was last time, because I learned my lesson and instead of saying, can I just get 100 grams of everything, you should just ask, can you give me the smallest portion you're willing to sell me of each of these cheeses? And that way we have a full sampling here. I'll put a photo on Patreon so you can see it. Um, but yeah, today Matt got his uh, citizenship last year, or was it two years ago now? How long has it been since you got it? September 2019. Three, wow, okay, you got it in 2019. Yes. So Matt's already been through this process. He's uh, traveled on his French passport, I imagine. Yes, many times. And uh, and so he's further down the road than anybody that's going to be on the show, I think, unless we bring Lindsay back on, uh, which why would we? I mean, really, she's just, she's hogging too much screen time. But Matt, uh, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. And, and actually, what, I guess what the interesting thing, the, an interesting way to do that would be, the, the standard question, which is uh, blasé in person, but just fine on camera, which is, how did you end up in France and why? why? How did I end up in France? So I had gotten to a point in my life in Australia, my home country, where I was about 27. I had done a career pivot, started doing a master's program. And I think just one of those, I always knew I wanted to move overseas. And I'd spoken to people earlier in my 20s. Uh, professionals with a decade or more experience and said, look, if you're going to go, I would probably suggest get a bit more professional experience behind you. Then when you go, you'll have more options because it's a very common thing for a lot of young Australians to go to uh, the UK in particular to go and, you know, pull beers or work in hospitality. So then you have money to travel around Europe, do your year abroad, then come back and do studies or come back and kick off career. Uh, so I sort of took that advice and went, that makes pragmatic sense, being an eternal pragmatist. And... I also got to that later point in my 20s and went, definitely want to do this. Would be a life regret if I don't live overseas. Mm. And just looked around and went, everyone seems to be falling into like a pattern that kind of just felt like tick, 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 and then you'll just cruise along to retirement. Uh, not that that's necessarily the case, but I thought I've got to do something about this. So I set a goal and said, right, by June of 2011, I will have left. Okay. Set myself a one-year goal. Uh, at that point in time, it was only two years past the global financial crisis. Yeah. And I was originally looking at Spain as an option to go to. Because back then, my second language was Spanish, not French. Yeah. Due to another long podcast of time in Argentina and things like that. But uh, yeah, so I set that goal and I left with two weeks before my deadline. Went and got a working holiday visa, which is an option for Australians to most European countries. So that's a one-year visa and it's reciprocated by the other countries. And I moved to France without anything more than 
Bonjour, je m'appelle Mathieu. And I didn't even pronounce it that well back then. And yeah, had one year to figure things out. And, and that was 2011. Did you actually stay from that point on? So I arrived and thankfully for a very good French friend that I met back in Australia through couch surfing, mm -hmm. because I used to host a lot of international people back then, I was fortunate enough to be able to stay with her and her family for the first few months mm. while I started French classes, like day four in France. I started going to the Alliance Francaise and yeah. learning French and started the job search. And then that took about four months to find my position at Ubisoft, which was thankfully yeah. very... Um, a bit unique because not speaking French in my old department, sorry, not speaking English meant you really couldn't work there. Mm. So my native English was an advantage, which it can be in certain niche spots um, <clears throat> in industry in France. And then I, my visa ran out in June, but before then, so when that happened, they wanted to keep me, thankfully. Yeah. So I went back to Australia, worked on a contract as a full-time employee with the Australian subsidiary for about four and a half months, did all the paperwork to come back on a long-stay visa, got yeah. my titre de séjour, um, which was a salary on mission, which is different to what a lot of people get where they can sort of just work around because they're professional. I yeah. was tied to my employer. Yeah, yeah. And then from that point on, I've been in France the whole time. That's so that, that was like late 20, like September 2012. Those are like, those are good contracts, but dangerous ones, right? Because the, if you are planning on living here for a long time and your job, for whatever reason, makes you redundant... You are kicked out of the country. Or if I hate the job and I want to change employer, right. it's not valid for another employer. I could apply for, um, I'm not sure what it's called now, like the passport talon, which allows you to move to different companies. Yep. But I just saw it as, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. My original goal was France for a year. Let's see what happens. If I hate it, hey, I can go back. I would have still been young enough to apply for a different visa to, say, go to Germany or go to Spain or another yeah. European country and try it out. So it means when you first came back in 2012, that was when I first lived in Paris. We've, so we met across mm. paths. Well, we didn't. We didn't and did, I'm sure, at some point or another. But Because I, I, I first uh, moved to Nice in 2007 as an English assistant and then back to Paris in 2012 as an English assistant as well. Nothing nearly is, and that's actually I think where that the, the advice you got is um, is really valuable, especially for anybody who wants more of like a, a an experience that has long term potential. Is to have like the ability to when you get here have a professional career. You're still young. You're young enough to get in, but to have like that opportunity to be like, hey, look, I'm qualified to do these actual jobs yeah. like that are that not just anybody can do. Especially because the competitive landscape when you come is. The company will have to prove that they firstly couldn't find a local person in terms of a French person in my case that yeah. could do the job better than me. Therefore, they can hire a foreigner. And also they couldn't find someone within the European economic zone. So there's a two-tier system. So if you come in and go, hey, I've got my bachelor's and like that's it or no experience or just come in trying to enter the work field, it's going to be harder for them to prove that case. Yeah. And they also have to pay you a certain amount so they can't sort of take you for too low of a job yep. if you don't already have a work permit. Yeah. So the whole process about what type of visa you can get can be bolstered um, by a bit more professional experience, a bit more education. But I showed up without a job and without French. So I was on the back foot other than the fact that my English professional experience was at that point not bad. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that also is a testament to your tenacious character in a sense like... Yes, perseverance is a useful trait. Yeah, it is because that's. Um, there are a lot of people, I think there are a lot of people who think they want to live here until they live here and then they realize that it is not easy and they don't really want to live here that badly and then mm. 
they leave. And I think that even for you, like not knowing you wanted to live here, so to speak, just being like, I want this experience. Let's just give it a year. Yeah. Like that capacity to just power through and find your path set you up to live here for a decade. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't, and during that period before I just, so it took a while to get to the point to go, okay, I'm going to dedicate to getting citizenship. Yeah. Because the first three years, it's all different. It's learning. You don't figure out a country in one, two, three years. It takes a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there were definitely periods where, especially once I'd already started the process or I was a year away from being able to apply, that I always just rage quit and went, I'm just over it. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to change jobs. I People I'd met had left, so you keep going through these highs and lows of having a friends group because in a big international city like Paris, you have these very, uh, not by design temporary relationships, but a lot of other people are here to come and live in Paris for a while, and then they leave. That's actually, so we're going to get into the cheese for a second, but that actually, I, you raised two questions for me, so I'm going to give you one to think on, mm-hmm. and then we're going to get into the cheese, and then we'll answer after the cheese, cheese. so don't tune out. Uh, but I want to ask you about how, because you have great friends. We just came from... Finland. Yes, we were in Lapland. We were in Lapland. People came from all over the world, all over France, uh, to go to Finland. No Finnish people were there. Uh, So we all uh, gathered in a frozen cabin in the Arctic Circle to celebrate your birthday. Frozen? The outside was frozen. Yes. The inside was nice and warm. toasty inside. It was very warm. Actually, it was a little too warm at times. And so we all, you know, it was a great time with good people and you have people that love you that were willing to travel and, and to, to come see you for this. And so the question is, and this is a hard question to answer, I think, for a lot of reasons, because especially like anytime you try to quantify anything relational, it starts to feel really, it can feel gross. Mm. But the question is like, how do you make friends living in a city like Paris? It's a question I get asked all the time from lonely expats who aren't sure how to do it. And so that's that's what we'll get into. But I have my little list here. I did this in the list that we purchased it in very small. This I can't believe we got the, all this cheese for twenty seven euros. This is only this is even half of it um, by by quantity. But we're gonna start with the Beaufort d'été. So the summer Beaufort. Beaufort is a really nice cheese. Also, we've got some pickles and some bread to go with it. Uh, Beaufort. Oh, I need the knife. I'll we'll just crack this in half. We can break that. It's fine. Beaufort is. Um, we don't have the information next to me. I should be, I, we, we're r- r- scrambling a little bit um, on the day because we just got back from Finland. I was just on TV this morning, which is a random thing and haven't had time to properly prepare, but I believe it's a cow cheese. Sure. Oh my gosh, so good. It's like a, it's not a very firm texture like a Conte. No. It's a bit, creamy. it holds its structure, but it's not anywhere creamy like a traditional creamy cheese, but it's right. got a little bit of a tang to it. Um, a touch of sourness, but it's it's one of the. If I'm going to get this right, I think it's from near Jura. It's a Savoy cheese. I'm not sure. I think it's a Savoy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't have my. Yeah. I have a spreadsheet with all this on it, but we're we're yeah. ill prepared. It, it, it's in my top ten cheeses. It's so good. Before. It wouldn't be this top three, so good. but it's top ten. Okay, so that was that. I got to stop. I got to save a little bit here because now we got a Emmental. Is a little palate cleanser because Emmental is pretty bland usually. Yeah, Emmental is like. The most common cheese you will see. It's a sweeter cheese, so it's very easy to get into. Very related. We very commonly it, shredded, available in supermarkets everywhere. With holes in it. Yeah, you'll see it shredded. Um, it's what often gets uh, used for quote-unquote nachos, if you're unlucky. The French cannot do nachos. No. Or Mexican food en masse at all. Uh, anything spicy. Mm. It's nice. Yeah. This is the beginner cheese. It's the beginner cheese. 
It's really it is. I would I would call it bland. Definitely not S tier. Definitely not S tier. <laughs> this is like D tier. It's it, it'll get you through, but it's not something I'm ever gonna like intentionally ask for. But no. it's not gonna offend anybody in smell and taste and texture. And it always feels a little bit like almost almost a rubbery. Like yes, rubbery. It. It's like I was gonna say plastic. Like yeah. there's something about it that just you're like. This but, is filling space. That's it'll never come in a can. Don't worry about that. It will not come in a can. Okay. I'm going to put that. Did you put yours down here? Is that what you did? Yeah, that's the before. No, did I, you eat the Emmental? Yeah. I, you I, eat the whole thing? Maybe. Good for you. I didn't realize I did put three of them down. I'm also hungry, but I'm going to catch up to you. All right. The third one <coughs> is uh, the Cantal, Cantal. I said Chantal earlier off off uh, recording. Cantal Fermier Affiné. So Cantal. Mm. This is a top. Five cheese for me. Is it? Yeah. Tell us about I it. I love Cantal. Well, Cantal is, a, Cantal is a region, and my friend Fred, who was on the trip, his yeah. his grandmother has a house there, so that's the region he comes from. Oh. You know, asking me to visit him down there for a while, but mm. no, Cantal is a is a great cheese. It's 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 one of the ones that will start to crumble in your hands yeah. reasonably easily, um, but it's not a dry dry cheese. No, it's not. And it's like it's light, aromatic, and kind of fruity. Yeah. Mm. Big fan of Cantal. I don't know if I'm familiar. I don't know if I'm familiar with this one before this experience. Um, and we'll do one more. We have um, a bleu here. What is it? It's a bleu de, Ver- de Vercourt Sassenage. So it looks like a light, fairly firm blue. It doesn't have a ton of the mold in it. We have one in here that has a ton of mold. Um, so it's lightly blued. Double D, double die. Hey, if I'm in need of a guy, it's um, firm. Doesn't smell too strong, and um, no, this is light on the blue. Blue cheese does scare a lot of people because they just go mold gross. Yep, but it's absolutely no concern about safety when you're eating blue cheese. Nope. It's it is just strong, but this one actually isn't. This is and really and you get some really creamy soft ones. Like it's not like a gorgonzola, which is a very strong Italian right. blue cheese. This is firm and doesn't have that strong sort of. I don't even know how to describe the mold flavor, but. Well, it's, it I does, doesn't have any. It ends up triggering it. a lot of salt for me. Like when I eat blue cheese, like a really strong one tends to be like a grainy, salty yeah. vibe. And this is not that at all. It's really this smooth. Would a, this would be a good intro to blue cheese. Very good intro to fan. blue cheese because it's not the smell won't put you off, and then the taste it's very it's very subtle. I didn't catch the name on that. That was a strange name. No, it was a very long name. Something it, about assassinating. Then it was it was the bleu de Vercourt Assassinage. Vercourt. Ah, I have assassinage. Yeah, assassinage. <laughs> Is assassin? There are murderers around. The word for murderer is assassin, in um, in uh, in French. So it always sounds much more important when people get murdered because they get assassinated. There are meurtre killers, but right or is meurtre murderer? I guess meurtre is the more direct. Tueur would be. We're we're getting too far down the rabbit hole of of, of a question I don't actually know the answer to. <coughs> My favorite ones to try and answer. Yes, let us. Reflect upon that. Speaking of difficult questions to answer, yes. how do you make friends living in a city like Paris? Well, if you're not gifted with the natural charisma and charm, such as myself, and clearly, and level digits bullshit people, uh, no, I think it's. So I made a I made a, a distinctive choice when I arrived that I was going to avoid expats. So because I'd known yep. it, this is how it works for a lot of people, and I've seen other people do it. They've gone to another country, and it's very easy in a new, confronting. Uh, scary environment where you might be a bit lonely and the language barrier is present where you'll seek safety. 
So you'll go and you'll find clicks of, you know, I actually find French people very good at doing this. They'll go to a foreign country and they'll just meet all the other French people. Yep. New York is a bad example of that. A lot of French people moved to New York, stayed with French people. Barcelona, same deal. Um, so I sort of said, no, if I'm going to make the effort to move here, I want to live overseas. I want to ingratiate myself in the culture. Otherwise, I'm not really trying living here. If I'm just on this surface level, you'd just be like a step deeper than tourism and that's about it. So I avoided French people. It was helpful in my job that I worked with um, native French people. You avoided French people? So what did I say? No, I avoided expats. I was helpful in my job that I got to work with a lot of French people. And one of those was uh, my friend Alno, who was on the trip. That was one of the first French friends I made. Uh, And it was a case of just trying to there's no it's very different for everyone who's moved overseas but there's typically this imaginary line where when you meet people who are locals where they'll be friendly and they'll be nice and be easy and then there just becomes this point after an amount of time where you'll start getting invited to things yeah and that's when you sort of cross this imaginary barrier it's invisible like, it's like, not like, like the t1000 it's and terminator real. 2 you can just morph through the bars at this point <laughs> you're like oh cool i made it um yeah and so that process it's one of being Determined to do it and trying to fight the temptation to seek comfort and easiness in finding other expats like you. Now, I know other people who have been here a long time as well, and I have a lot of expat friends now, yourself being one. Yep. So I sort of re- re- relaxed on that rule after a while. And when I first started talking to my good friend Tom, who is um, who's from the UK and was living in Paris at the time, I just remember the first time we had a beer and being oh my God, there's no cognitive load when we're talking because yeah. we can make cultural references and just speak totally off the cuff and I'm not constantly straining and becoming a perfectionist and timing my laugh to synchronize with everyone else so it sounds like I know what they just said <laughs> when I have no idea. But um, that's a skill you pick up. I picked that up a lot when I was learning the Spanish side of things too, how, yeah. how to blend into a conversation and I have absolutely no idea what's Listening going. to the tone of the conversation. Oh, so yeah, you get the laugh very, is coming now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or the surprise looked like, no. Like, no, really? I don't know what oh, wow. Really? I've, I've got the chimp bang and the single symbols going on in my head. At least thankfully in France, oh, wow, works in both languages. So, so. I, I think another thing as well is uh, you've got to put yourself out there. No one's going to come to you, um, especially in a big city. If you're in a small town, it can be different, but in a big city like Paris, you're another person on the street. So what is, what's the practical there's advice? too many people here. Uh, yeah, nobody cares. When you're yeah. in a big city, you, Look, you, you're invisible here. I mean, the same way you would do something where you're from. Like, you like this sport, you like this yeah. art, you like this cultural activity, seek those things out. Mm. Now, granted, the language barrier can be there, but there'll be some in big cities where there'll be an offering in English and you'll find other local people do that as well. Uh, it's you've really got to make the steps don't, don't try and live a different type of life just because you're somewhere different. Like, still pursue the things you like. And you'll find other people who'll be French and will speak enough English. And then you can go from there. I think that's actually a big, that's a really good uh, part to highlight is that just because you're living somewhere else doesn't mean you have to fit into a mold that you imagine oh. is the place. So you don't have to become French. To, like, what I actually tell people now, because I did the same thing when I moved here in... Um, <laughs> 2007, when I moved to Nice, I tried really hard to avoid expats, particularly anglophones. Like, international was fine. Like, anywhere we were speaking French, like, mm-hmm. I wanted my French to improve. Because when I showed up, my French, I had an education, but I didn't speak it. This is the opposite side. I actually had a degree in French. But then I was like, I need to, like, actually speak this language. And by doing that, I, I got to a point of fluency within about three months that was like, I wasn't perfect. I had a long ways to go. But, like, I was also more comfortable in the language. And surpassed all the people that came to do the same program as me that started out speaking better but then hung out with English speakers the whole time and didn't improve at all 
So when I got to Nice, I was like, okay, same thing. I want to do the French friend thing. It took months with the click that like I was introduced to. Like I would have to pursue them, put myself out there, put myself out there, and like and get myself invited to stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there came a moment where suddenly they were calling me. Suddenly they were inviting me. So same thing. All of a sudden you pass past that invisible line. You're like, oh, I'm one of the crew now. Um, and that's really cool, but it's really, it can be strenuous. And yeah. one of the things that I've told people recently, and I think I told a young friend this who came back to me a year later and was like, yeah, you were right. Um, and because this is hard advice to take. I think when you come and you're like, I want to have French friends. The reality is there are there. The French friends don't want you. They don't know that they want you yet. It's a better way of putting it. Like you're going to have to put a lot of work in to demonstrate that you are not only a potential friend, but that like you just have to stick around long enough and that's going to take a long time. And in the midst of that, that means that if those are the only people you're pursuing, you don't have friends. So anything you're going through emotionally, anything you're struggling with, you're going to do that alone. So I kind of, I try to destigmatize the idea of having expat friends right away in the sense that just get a couple who speak your language. There's no cognitive load, like you said. You're not working really hard to speak a different language. You're not trying to find the right references to be understood. Just somebody that you can meet up with and have coffee with or drinks with. And then you can share that experience because expat life, like living abroad is lonely enough as it is to forcibly make yourself lonelier for six months in the hopes that you end up with a friend group down the line can be strenuous. There are going to be people that are going to do that no matter what. That's fine. But I don't think there's any shame either in like saying, okay, well, I found like we met through a running group. Um, and that's what I was going to ask you for practical tips for anybody that's wondering, but we met through a running group and even if you like that could become a thing where you just end up speaking English all the time. There were some French speakers, so it was, it was a little bit mixed, but even jumping into something like that and just seeing those people once a week can be a relief. Even if you only see them that once, because like, yeah, it can be, it can be a lot to carry living here on your own. So what are some other ideas of like meeting people? So, I mean, I, I like music. I play guitar as well. And a few times in the past, I've been to something called Le Boeuf, which is basically a jam session. But you, this one in particular is over in the fifth, near the Le Pantheon. Boeuf. And basically, everybody shows up to this brasserie and it, we fill the whole place. You bring whatever instrument you want. Yeah. So people had violins, banjo, light percussion. I mean, you can't bring an amp and you know your, your guitar to just shred. And I would take my acoustic and they hand out different colored books that have world music, anglophone songs, francophone songs, mm. and the guy will lead it, give you, under, teaches you what the hand signals would be to like, all right, stop, we're going to end after this bar. And then you would play. Because, like, hey, I can't speak French, but I know how to do a G-E-C-F progression. Yep. And you'd be there together doing something you like. So you can find activities that are language neutral to yeah. an extent. Um, and in those settings, like, I mean, enough people in Paris can bumble through some from English and you'll find someone in the crowd. And I wasn't the only expat that was there. Yeah. And the first time I did that, I just took it upon myself and went, let's see what happens. Yep. I think initiative is the, is the main yes. thing. Yeah. Right? Initiative is the key thing. You've got to seek it out. Don't expect it to happen quickly, but don't try and be someone different. Yep. Like do this, if you were in a running club or you like to play music or you want to take, you like art classes, yep. just go to those things. Yeah. Just because you've already got the skill to do it, even if you can't understand what the teacher's saying. And yeah. gonna, no one's going to kick you out for it. There's a big, I think, false sense of fear that because you don't belong, people are going to somehow eject you from it. Not at all. That's, yeah. that's not how it works. That sense of imposter syndrome yeah. like, creeps in. And there's, it's funny, there's a guy, I remember in Nice, there was a, a Chinese student that came that didn't speak any French any English, 
but like he would show up at events and just be there. Yeah. And he was the he was so he was just the, the nicest, friendliest guy. And the name he chose for himself in English was Charmant. <laughs> bold choice. Which is bold, I think. <laughs> you could you could you could equate to charming or handsome. Yeah. And um and he just smiled his way through everything. And he made friends and he started to learn both languages. And you know, it was and he made improvements, but like everybody just loved having him around. So mm. I think there's don't un yeah, go ahead. One thing I'll say, and if if you have made expat friends, I'm not saying do what I did and make an objective choice. Lower the fear. Go with an expat buddy to one yeah, of these events. Yeah, 100. You don't have to do it all on your own or try and make it harder than it needs to be. And I think that's the challenge. If you're not extroverted, it can be much more stressful and harder to go out. But that is the unfortunate reality: is that because everybody already it's it's a big city and everybody's adults, and the French are already another level harder because they don't mingle. We're just talking about this last couple of days, both in Finland and then this morning on the motorcycle tour we were doing, that the French make friends in school, they make friends at university, and then they make friends at work. Those circles do not mix, generally speaking, and there's very rarely overlap except for birthdays and weddings, which is when you get to meet these people you've heard about but never met. Mm. Um, and then otherwise, like they don't, they don't mingle, which means that if you go basically anywhere except for something like a birthday where you're expected to mingle or a soiree like we house parties back in the day pre-covid we're, we're, we're good for this depending on the host and we'll be good again for this um you hosted the most epic house party i've ever been to recently and that's a good story that we could share if you feel like it we don't have to share if you don't <laughs> it, it, it it was amazing until almost the end which then, the yeah. end for him was terrible but it makes it a great Everyone story it's loved it. epic um but the thing is that like there's it's pretty rare that you find yourself in a situation where people are willing like the french in particular are willing to step outside of the circle they already exist in and meet yeah. other people so it can be really intimidating anyways which means that you you need to take it upon yourself and you're the one that chose to move here anyways. So that's yeah. part of it. It's like any big city. Nobody cares that you exist until you show them that there's a reason to care. So I think it's a really good example of like building friendships, friendship in my mind, friendship is always reciprocal generosity. And the first step is being generous. So finding a way, even if that's just conversationally listening, asking good questions, being interested um, and being engaged just leaning forward and leaning into these conversations like yes. that that's how it starts key to being interesting is to be universally interested yeah and so the the it's all about it's all about that energy of giving first and so however you do that i think matt has a lot of great advice in there and wherever you end up going don't expect anyone to come to you you need to go to them and that can be terrifying, can be scary. But hey, moving abroad is terrifying and scary. You've already done a big scary thing. Yeah. Hotspot is getting on the fly. Exactly. So the next part is then, yeah, just keep doing scary things. And eventually they won't be scary anymore. And you'll have built something for yourself. That's really cool. And you'll end up going to Finland with a bunch of friends and freezing and building snow hills and doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. One of our friends almost got frostbite. So the freezing <laughs> thing is not <laughs> a did. joke. Um, okay, so the next cheeses on our list. We're starting with Morbier. Which is a blue cheese that'll be another step up in the strength. It even a, an, yeah, sorry. no, it even broke in half for us already. What were you gonna say? Uh, it's a bit of an odd blue cheese because it's not the white creamy one. It looks like I can't tell, but it has like a uh, what's the word like a, a seam of the blue cheese right. running through it because it comes as a wheel. It's all cheese. It does well. Not all cheese comes as a wheel, isn't it? Maybe. I don't know. Actually, I've never seen Emmental in a wheel, but does it? They, I, th I feel like Emmental's done in blocks. I could be wrong about that. 
I don't know. Let's look that up. We're learning things. Anyways, yeah, so it's like a softer, it's like a soft end hard cheese on the spectrum. Creamy, a little bit rubbery on the texture, but. Well, it's one of the ones that starts to blow the line between blue cheese, as you might know it, and Mm. stinky, dirty, sock mountain cheese. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Yeah, I do like Mobia. When I saw it on the list, I was pretty excited. The thing is, I used to hate blue cheese until I lived here. And I, it's kind of like anything, like spice, coffee, alcohol, like just kind of introducing yourself to some basic stuff and working your way up over time, right? It's good. Satisfying. Try not to get, I'm trying not to get too much silent mic time of us chewing, but you know, you get what you get. Yeah, I'll try not to smack into the mic. Hopefully somebody is eating these cheeses with us at home. The list is on Patreon, so you can go see it and oh, follow yes. along. All right, so that was the Morbier, which is also just a fun word to say. The one that I got most excited about on here was Laiole. So we have a Laiole Reserve. And Laiole is a cheese that I just stumbled on on accident once at mm-hmm. my grocery store. Tried it. I really loved it. It's a hard cheese. It, it's one of those ones that's that's kind of dry, will crack, you know. You just push down and it'll break. But um, I remember always loving this cheese. I'm hoping that it lives up to the memory. But I don't know. So that's Laiole. I yep. don't think I've ever tried this. It's a new one for me. It's got kind of a hoppy smell to it, actually. Yeah, cheese, cheese is like wine. If you want to be very pretentious about it, mm-hmm. you can look at the cheese, hold it up to the light, the goldness, mm. smell. You can rub it on yourself with the <laughs> texture. No, that's how I moisturize in the morning. Mm. Rub cheese on my cheeks. Keep that rosy, rosy glow. Oh, this one's a little dry. It's a bit crumbly too in the mouth. Yep, a little bit crumbly. Um, but holds together. It's firm. It's got a distant tang, I would say. Yeah, I know this flavor, but it's another cheese that's reminding me of, but I can't think of it. It's really good. If you ever see Laiole, it's spelled with a G, so it's a little bit confusing. L-A-G, Laiole. Uh, L-A-G-U. Oh, wait, actually, maybe this isn't Laiole, now that I'm looking at this. This is something else. This is, la- is it Lagulole? Lagulole? Well, you maybe I'm just wrong. You need an exorcist? Are you okay with that? Lagulole? I actually don't know what we're eating then. If it's not like, oh, that's how I read it when I was unwrapping this. Maybe it's the one that it's reminding me of. Maybe it is. That I can't. Like, look, you can't. Well, there's your, there's, we're learning together as we go. The whole thing is to experience new cheeses, and apparently this is a new cheese. But it's really similar to like, oh. Sure. But it has a hoppy, like, yeah. It's like good. marijuana-y... Lightly, you don't you don't t- you don't have that aromatic. What I was about to, I was about to say, musty flavor, but I don't think ever describing food as musty is a positive thing. That's nice, I like it. That's all. All right. <coughs> Next one is the um, Livero. I don't know Livero. It's a soft cheese. It looks really creamy. It's kind of melted together a little bit here. Here you go. There's a chunk for you, sir. I'm guessing we can eat the rind on this one. I normally just so typically you won't eat rinds of cheese in France. I just do for most of them. Yeah, you can. So, for yeah, most of them. Some of them are hard; they just won't the taste nice. No, that's what, if you caught that on camera, I actually picked up the rind from the Beaufort and thinking it was bread, and just put it in my mouth, and oh. I was like, "Oh, that's not it." Um, is this a cheap cheese? It smells like a cheap cheese. Cheap cheese, man. Cheap cheese. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. 
Again, my apologies for the lower level of preparation this time. But this just, has a unique texture compared to the others. You probably can't see. There's these small divots all over the cheese. Yeah, little holes. Almost like pockmarks, but mm-hmm. they're not holes. Something in the process does that. But this is a really... This is also, I'd say, would be a good introductory cheese. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a tang to it. It's not that cheese spice. Mm-hmm. But it's not a boring, sweet sort of cheese. No, the, and the, the aroma really fills... Mm. Really fills your the space like your your mouth and your nose. Yeah, that's a good one to try out if you're here. And I mean the things even a small. I was about to say cheesery, um, fromage yeah. in fromage France will still have a wide selection. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find probably most of these. You don't have to go to specialty cheese shops or anything. No, most of them, yeah, a grocery store will have a lot of these. These are the, today's selection is actually a very easy one to find overall. Some are harder than others. It's even the specialized cheese shop I went to last time. I had to make adjustments based on what they actually had because they're like, "Oh, we don't have that one right now," and whatever. And some of them, this this cheese shop specifically. So Joshua and um, and Emily went to uh, Fromagerie Goncourt, uh, Goncourt, which is in the eleventh, and it's a seasonal cheese shop. So they only carry things that are seasonal, seasonally available. So some things are available year round, some things are not. Like some of these things are always available. I don't know which ones of these are specifically seasonal, but. That is just something to be aware of as we're going through. So we'll do one more. We've got a soft one, the Roblouchon Fermier. Roblouchon is a soft cheese as well. Um, looks delicious. Also, I believe a rind we can eat. Yeah, it smells nice. It's pretty mild. Creamy. Yeah, it's a very another a very approachable one. This is like a like not far from a camembert, mm. yeah. but like milder. Look at that. That's nice. Yeah. Ooh, put some. I put some cheese on bread. This cheese has a bit of junk in the trunk. It's, it's got a <laughs> so the other thing that I was going to ask you then is like, why did you it, you you? So it took you three years to decide you wanted to get on the track to citizenship because you don't just decide to become a citizen. Like it's something no. that takes some commitment or you just happen to have lived here for a long time. But like you have to pay taxes for five years. You have to like jump through some hoops and understand what you're getting yourself into. Why? What what converted you from being like, I'm just here for a little bit to like, oh, I'm going to stay for a chunk. That's pro- I mean, that decision or that point must have been six or so years ago. So I can't very astutely describe I don't think there wasn't a particular epiphany I had in the shower one morning it was just okay I think what was your reason well I think what I wanted again being a very pragmatic person was that I always wanted the I like having options so the idea was that if I wanted to leave and go and pursue a career or a job in another country I always wanted the opportunity to come back now Without citizenship, that door just closes behind you. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that I've been here three years, six years, ten years. They don't care. If you leave and you've got no recourse to it, then if you come back, I would start it all over again from zero. Yeah. So I'm like, no, that's not something I want to do. And I've been here long enough that I'd felt an attachment to the place culturally and personally and with relationships that I always wanted that option. Or, you know, if knock on wood, you have to go back, I had to go back to Australia for family health issues or something like that. Yeah. I wouldn't want that to be a reason why it's like, great, I've just lost uh, this sort of life I've built over here. Yeah. So it's it was a protection against that and being able to actually have a new home somewhere in the world. Mm. Uh, so I think that was the main part of it. And then another big part of it is like, well, if you're going to be here and be involved in conversations and 
whether it's about politics or the country, or if you're going to do the French pastime to, uh, f- uh, what's the word I'm after, to Rale, then you're always on the outside. Yeah. And I actually very much look forward to the day that I got my citizenship. So when I'm talking to my French friends, I can be like, ah, I can say that now. <laughs> because I'm a citizen, you can't do anything. Rale is to complain. Uh, yes, but not... It's considered it's not, like not whining. A TV. It's whining, but it can be construed as a positive sense. Because yes. the way the French can see it is that if you're not complaining or voicing a criticism of something, then you're not actually thinking about it. Yeah. If everything is awesome all the time, it's like, well, how much are you actually paying attention? Because yeah. we know that's not the case. But it can also be to the point of like, oh, just, okay, can we give me a little bit of the Americanism awesomeness? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, we need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that thing where it's also there's the Descartesian approach, like, right, where there, it, there's a lot of inaction where, okay, we're going to complain a bunch and then we're going to sit and we're going to analyze this until we've thought through every possibility before we make a decision. And you're like, let's just go. Like, there's, sometimes that's the best option that we have right now, as far as we know. Go. We'll figure it out. So there, there can be some definite roadblocks. Has there been anything like in the process? I mean, I know it doesn't. In, in a lot of ways, practically, it doesn't necessarily change your life here, but did you feel a change like when, when it went through? Did you feel more secure? Did, was there anything there? Yeah, I think, and, and, and to finish the point, it was also yeah. about like being able to now participate and yeah, you can be vote. able to vote and actually feel, yeah, if, if, like you've now got a tie that binds to yeah. a place. And so it felt, I mean, I was on vacation actually when I finally saw my name on the list and went, oh, I was by myself. That's cool. In, Tur- uh, that's in, 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 in Tokyo and just went, sweet, there's no one here I know. I need to find a bar. So I found <laughs> yeah. this random bar with a weird experimental jazz band playing and had a beer and just went, cool, citizen. Yeah. It felt more real when I got back to France the day I picked up my passport. Yeah. And then you have this physical representation that is, is like a manifestation of now the rights that have been bestowed upon you and the responsibilities. Yeah. Like, uh, and I explained to my, I think my mom at the time was like, well, this is me starting like, a, in essence, a, a sort of a branch of the family. If I have children, it's like they will be French by birth. Yeah. And then who knows what happens after that. But that's the same reason I'm Australian by birth because some of my grandparents uh, or great-grandparents decided to send their kids to Australia. Well, that's a different conversation. But yeah, so... Well, they'll be French by birth if they choose later to be French. Yes, yes. There's no birthright citizenship in France. It's so yeah, just because they were born, but they would have the right to it because their father would be French. Right. Yeah. The mother is TBD, so. <laughs> Ladies, if you're interested, uh, yeah. he's available. So yeah, that was a uh, interesting process, but yeah, really getting that physical thing was there. Uh, and uh, the other point was like, I think I said to my sister, don't tell my mom, it's like, yeah, if there was ever a draft, I would be drafted. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because if you're just the expert on a visa, it's like, see you later. It's like, no, no, I owe something to the Republic as well. Yep. If I get to benefit from the advantages it offers, I have to pay something back into that as well, aside from taxes. Unless, unless you've aged out. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> when, did, when, when does the I draft I don't think end? 40 is the age up point. I don't know. I think, in the, I think in the US military, well, I guess they, they can always extend it, right? They can, but I think it's in the mid-30s or something. Uh, I, think, I think I can still kill someone in my 50s. With your wit? <laughs> She's very sharp. Um, yeah, I think that, that it's interesting because like for me, I, I feel very similarly. Like I... I've had, unlike you, I think there's some, the differences in our stories are kind of like how we went about it, obviously, and also then the motivations. Because for me, I grew up wanting to be here. I didn't know why. Oh, really? I always wanted to go to France. I don't know that I knew that. I didn't know that I wanted to live here. Mm-hmm. But I just had this thing where I was like, I want to go to France. And really, I wanted to be in Paris, but I didn't know that. And when I got to Nice, I was like, well, I mean, this is great. I'm glad I 
no, I can speak the language better now, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to live here. Like, mm. you know, and then at the end of the trip came to Paris for 10 days and was like, this is what I always wanted. It's just like immediately I want to say attiré, but I was immediately like drawn to it. Yeah. I had a similar experience actually. Like, I mean, where I think it was maybe only a year before I moved was just being at, it was near Opera. I can't remember where. I think it was, yeah. I was having lunch with someone, one of the friends I'd met in Australia who was French from traveling. And just remember looking around and just feeling, yeah, I could live here. This is somewhere I could call home. And it's a weird feeling because there's lots of, been to tons of cities around the world. There's only a couple where I felt, yeah, I could live here. Yeah. And I, you can't explain why. You just no. feel an affinity, a, it's a, a bond vibe. with the place. It's part of the visual architecture, just, just the street scenes, the people, the language, the food. It all melds together and goes, yeah, I could. Yeah. I could live here. 100%. And so it was a case of like, well, let's roll the dice and see what well, happens. Well, and that's the thing. I think that for me, like then to the, why I want to become a citizen, which is something that you have to be able to articulate as well in the interview that you go through. <laughs> oh yeah, we can finish off the cheeses here, which we should do soon because we're going to have to wrap shortly. Don't tune out yet because the worst cheese of them all is the last cheese for today. But I think for me very much boils down to the same kind of pragmatic, like I don't want the life that I've built here to be something that can be taken away from me. Yep. And and I would like to be able to participate. I would like to be able to vote. I've lived here during two presidential elections now and not been able to vote in either. Um, but even more locally, I'd like to have a voice in how the city operates. I love this city so much and I would like to be able to vote in municipal elections and, um, you know, just to, just to be able to speak up in that way. And, um, and then also... Yeah, I mean, it, it opens up a lot of opportunity because at the same time, like I imagine that Paris will always be home and my home base, but the future, we, you can never know what the future holds. And right. there's the cool thing is that once you have French citizenship, you're also a European citizen. Yes. And then if you happen to meet the future Mrs. Jordan and she's from, you know, Italy or Greece or whatever, you know, then you can just move. You don't have to get a visa. You can just go. So I think that there's that element of freedom that comes with it and opportunity. And to have, for me, to have both American and European citizenship is a massive one-two combo mm. that opens up opportunity in two of the largest markets in the world so then from a business perspective like there's so many reasons to just be like yes this makes sense it's going to complicate my tax life um well not much more than it already is complicated i guess living here but like you know it's gonna it's gonna cement the, the complications there but it's worth it you know um it's worth going through a little bit of the headache yep. all right let's let's finish off these cheeses zero regrets zero regrets let me take a moment while we're eating the last of the cheese and getting to the worst cheese on the list, possibly one of the just the worst cheeses all around. Uh, to, I realized as soon as we stopped recording, I didn't talk about the whole television show thing. So I actually don't even know what the name of the TV show I just went on was, but it's a show on TF1, TF1 uh, French network that comes on this Saturday. So if you're listening to this today, I'm releasing it the same day we're recording it, Thursday, February 9th. 2023. If you happen to be uh, in France or have access to TF1, this Saturday at seven o'clock local, they're going to do a show on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Valentine's Day ideas uh, for couples with a focus on tourism. And so my neighbor and friend Lena and I went and pretended to be a couple loosely. We never said we were, but we pretended lightly to be one for the cameras. Um, as my buddy Simon, who you've seen in the motorcycle sidecar videos that we've done. Took us around town. They wanted to do a focus on him uh, as an idea of what you can do 
in Paris for like a romantic date. And he asked me to bring Cooper and to find a lady to join us and, uh, or to, yeah, to join us, to join him. And yeah, we met them this morning, ran around and then went over time a little bit. And I barely made it back in time to record with Matt before I had another appointment this afternoon. So it's been a very busy day, a little bit scattered all over the place, thus the somewhat lack of preparation. Thanks again to Emily for getting all the cheeses for us yesterday. Uh, otherwise this wouldn't have happened. And, uh, yeah, if, you're, if you've got access to French TV, go ahead and give that a watch. Also, patrons, I'm going to, since you're getting this first and right now, hopefully within the next week, I should have the full interview with Apollonia up uh, from the croissant video. So I'm going to make that into a little video that's patron only. Put that up, share that with you guys. Should be up here very soon. And now, back to the cheeses and the end of my delightful conversation with Matthew Jordan. Um, I think we haven't done, uh, no, we have not done Charousse yet. So we have Charousse which is this soft, melty mess right here. Yeah, there's one melting at room temperature, which you can see that on cam. But. Is one melting at room temperature. Um, it was wrapped in plastic for a reason, clear. Oh, that's not that's not bread. I keep making the same mistake. You Trying, just dipped cheese into cheese. I just <laughs> did. That's, a, that's how French can you get? I'm going to eat my cheese on the rind of another cheese. What was a character from Rescue Rangers who also went the cheese? Rescue Rangers. Was that that was uh, Jack, Jack Montana. Uh, uh, Oh, it's a cheese name. He was the pilot. Yes, and it's... I think um, he was a hamster. Maybe something... Ja it's Monterey Jack. That's a type of cheese as well. That's what I mean. His name His name was a cheese. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure his name was Monterey Jack. Leave a comment below if you know the answer to that. But yeah. Again, he would like... His mustache would do the weird... He'd like float yeah. well, yeah, after yeah, the yeah, cheese. Yeah, exactly. yep. Yeah. That's a reference. Yeah. Ooh. You're not going to like this description, but that reminds me of some sort of cleaning product. I see what you mean. I would yeah, say it smells like shower cleaner. <laughs> sorry, sorry, friends. It doesn't. It no, doesn't that was that's a weird taste. It doesn't. The aftertaste is where the flavor actually shows up. Like it didn't taste much like anything for a minute. The smell's not strong. It's not bad. This would be really good. As a spread with like a jam or something like a compote. Yeah, this sounds. This smells like Windex. <laughs> I'm having I, a different experience, but I, uh, it, it's not my favorite cheese. I'm not endorsing this one. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy this one. Um, it's it kind of reminds me of like cream cheese. It has that same kind of like metallic tang, but the metallic tang is what's making you feel like it's a cleaning a cleaning agent. Hmm. Your tongue is being scraped with lead right now. I think so. All right. Now we've got our Strong's Blue of the of the afternoon. Fond d'Ambert Fermier. Um, I already got a little sample of this on my finger when I was cutting these and was immediately very pleased, which also is a sign that I've come around because I used to hate blue cheese so much. This is one of the strong ones. Small, strong. It's, it smells like a bleu. Like there's something... There's just something sharp about them grating. I went for a big bite. Wow. I love that flavor, but this is not a starting cheese. No. I've never tried blues before. <laughs> it's a good one, though, because it also has that sweetness, that, like, fruity sweetness to it. Mm. But, yeah, I guess I never really it's thought nutty, about it. It's a nuttiness, too. That, yep. That's the what I was trying to think of before. A lot of the blue cheeses have a strong nutty flavor mm. to them. That's really good. It's very satisfying. I'm finishing that. 
That's strong. Okay, this one I also apparently did not cut, but it's definitely breakable. Is the Saint Saint Nectar Fermier? Saint Nectar Fermier. Fermier. You go, sir. Oh, sweet. Soft cheese. This is far from my first meal that's consisted entirely of cheese. <laughs> Oh, there's some pickles and, and bread, you know. I've had many a dinners with friends at restaurant at a brasserie where you just, oh, we didn't eat. Yeah, we had a big uh, charcuterie board and like that was it. It's not a um, precursor to dinner. It's the main event. It's, some, it's funny how sometimes, yeah, meals in France can be incredibly simple and pass you by without you realizing yeah. it. Saint-Nectar a lot. I think Saint-Nectar is also a, a good intro cheese because it's a little sweet. I haven't actually started it yet because I was too busy finishing that. Bleh. Mm, yeah, it's very mild. I've often found this in like sandwiches too. Like mm. sometimes like a good bakery will put something like there in the sandwich. It's also like, it's a really satisfying, it has the same kind of spongy mm. rubberiness of the Emmental, but in a satisfying way. Yeah, I'd take something like that over Emmental. Like this feels like they've, they've, they puffed some air into it somehow to, to fill it out, but this is like substantial. All right, and the last one, which you can opt out of if you'd like to, because I know you don't like it, is the Munster. I'll do it. You'll do it? All right. So I didn't even cut it in half. My problem is that stinky cheese, they can smell my reference before to like smelly socks after a day of skiing. Yeah. And most of them smell stinky. Like even like a good raclette can be yep. like, oh, that smells like dirty feet. Yeah. And you taste it and you go, oh, no, it's gold. Yeah. This tastes like dirty this feet. <laughs> Munster. We've done this in a video with Pushan. We did the stinkiest cheeses like years ago. It's It smells not pleasant. It smells, yeah, it's unpleasant smell. Dude. I'm gonna eat it because it's food. I don't like to. It waste tastes it. better than it smells. It's still it's pretty bad. This is not a starter cheese either. Oh, if, yeah. if this were the hot ones of cheese, we just did the last dab. It's a non-starter cheese. It's a non-starter. You would never eat cheese again if you thought this is what cheese tasted like. I can get why people like it, but it's not. We shouldn't have started. We shouldn't have ended with it, but we had to save the worst. Ah, no, that's fine. I'm gonna wash it down with a cornichon. Cornichon will help cut that actually. Yeah, a little bit. I can put some bread in there, but. Well, sorry to Oh, yeah. Actually, the pickle, like, made it worse. <laughs> it went right in my nose. Woo. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate it. I would eat it. I wouldn't choose to, necessarily. If it was there and they were like, hey, have some Munster, I'd be like, ah. I'm always like, try everything. Try everything. Except heroin. And maybe it'd be for you. And if it's not, you tried it. Yeah, exactly. M. I mean, Munster might be the exception because I don't know that I'll ever enjoy that flavor. But I found that there are a lot of things that I didn't like. Like, um, I mean, I'm getting closer on licorice. Um, there's just a number of flavored pickles. I used to hate pickles. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't really like that I was like, no, I'm the only person missing out by not liking this. I'm going to keep kind of educating myself into enjoying it. Coffee's another one. And then you find yourself in a world of like delights that you would have missed out on if you just tried it once and be like, ugh. It's like, okay, I didn't like that last time. Let me try it again this time. Same thing, same thing. And then eventually like, oh, I kind of understand why people like this. And then eventually like, oh, I appreciate it. I enjoy it. That's my philosophy with it, at least. I think that's how most fetishes get started anyway. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a food fetishist. What can I say? Well, Matt, thanks for coming on uh, to the Garage Monologues. Not a problem. Is there Make, any final parting questions or any Proust questionnaire you want to ask? Any final? Is, there, is that a leading question? No. Oh, okay. Um, let me think. But you know about his famous questions. Marcel Proust would ask people in interviews. But is there a good f final question you'd usually ask people? Me? Yeah. 
No, him. When he oh. usually oh asks. no, it's a list of like forty or fifty questions. Right, but I oh I thought maybe I, I shouldn't have introduced this without actually having somewhere to go. Uh huh. You walked yourself into a trap there, my friends. Um, yeah, I guess if they're, if you're going to say anything to anybody out there, because <clears throat> I think the most interesting. Excuse me for the coughing. I'll try to cut that out. Uh, especially for anybody listening, I think that where this where I will end up titling this episode, I think will actually be more about like friendship and building a life. Mm. Because I think that that, especially because you've been here for over a decade now, um, I've been here for six years now. I mean, I first moved to France well over a decade ago, but you know, I've established myself here. What would what would be any parting wisdom for you to give to anybody who's trying to set out on that, looking forward to the next five to ten years of their life? So, someone who hasn't moved here, who hasn't moved here, who just got here in the last six months, maybe somebody, maybe somebody who just got here mm-hmm. in the last six months and is really struggling with their decision. They want to be here. But it's been really hard. Uh, persevere, uh, and some, and I know that might sound a little easy to say, but I mean, I have, I have a good example of a friend recently who was facing a very negative outcome and turned it around with like three weeks to go. Mm. Uh, to the outcome being, they would have to leave the country. Yeah, um, and that would have ended their whole process because they are need wanting. And needing citizenship to they some extent it, yeah. because of where they come from yep. and future plans. And, you know, it was in a very dark place, negatively emotional. It's just, I was trying to be the solid light to say, just don't give up, keep going. I won't push, but I'll help if you want help. Yep. And then trying to encourage bits and pieces. And then with literally two weeks ago, managed to secure the job that would then get her the visa to stay and then keep yeah. fulfilling the dreams going forward. So look, it's, you've already chosen and understand you've chosen to do a hard thing. This, yes. is, this isn't easy. You're not just like, oh, I should be able to figure it out. It's like, no, there's a reason why so few people do this and why I'm one of two friends I know who left Australia and got a second citizenship, the second one being in the US. And he, without the language barrier, obviously. Yeah. Uh, although they do say, you know, the the the, the UK and American are two countries we do say separated by a common language. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, so I think understand that what you're doing is hard. Don't let anyone who's never done it tell you it's not. Yeah persevere there is a way i've seen people from many different backgrounds and levels of education or money or friends with by themselves or many friends and different levels of ability to just make stuff happen because of their own charisma but people who persevere are the ones that will make it through Mm. i almost bailed on this process twice i rocked up without language without a job like kind of the hard route most of the people at least get a transfer with a company or something so you can do it it's but understand it's hard Every day is a little different and try and push through. I can't really give you any specifics without knowing more of your situation, but evidence as other people on this show have been that you can get it done and Mr. J will have it done soon in no time. I hope so. Yeah. There's no reason why I shouldn't, but we'll see. I think that's really, really good advice. And I think actually to echo that, I think it is not, I think that's one of the, we talked not to bring Emily and Paris into this, but that, that was the whole point of that, right? Was the, that the reason that that's so hated by so many people here, both French and uh, foreign, is that it washes out just how incredibly hard moving here is and living here and uh, assimilating and all of all of it. And so it can be really easy for people to look at someone's life like, oh, they live in Paris. They're having a great time. It's a paradise. I went on vacation there once. It's always a vacation. And they don't see all of the bull that goes on 
the day-to-day. Daily. I get a letter in my mail from the government. I don't know what it says. I have no one to help me translate this properly. Exactly. And it says urgent in red and, yeah, all kinds of things. And so it's just like it's very, very stressful. It takes its toll. And you're fighting for something that you love and that you want. And there is not a lot of support for it emotionally in particular. But then just day-to-day, like there's not a lot of help. Like you're really on your own. It can feel very isolating. And so just to echo the point that it is very hard what you've chosen to do, what we've chosen to do. And uh, hopefully it doesn't sound like patting ourselves on the back, but I think we kind of need that every once in a while because no one else is there to pat you on the back. So we're, we're here for each other. So in that way, yeah, definitely keep going after it. And I'm, I'm excited to get my citizenship. I hope it all goes well. Uh, I will find out in the next week if my dossier got rejected or not, um, because they're very quick to reject it. Um, Just slow to accept it. And uh, of course I'll keep you posted with that. And then you get to travel with two passports and live out a little James it's Bond true. fantasy. Actually, so normally, because Matt is not a public person, uh, he's not living his life in the public eye like I am. However, he did recently start a fun Instagram account that you should probably plug here, get a couple Oof, of people to I join. am behind on that. Do you love quizzes? Do you love trivia? Yeah, but you were having your birthday. You're yeah, fine. So I used to host a bilingual trivia night in Paris, uh, and my condensed years of doing that, I set a goal for last year to write a guide on how to write and host your own trivia night, produce it, how to do questions and everything. It's available on learntoquiz.gumroad.com. And I have a Instagram, which I started with the goal of doing a trivia question that I write every day, and it's learn to quiz. Learn to quiz. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go follow it. I tend to, I'd say I'm, I'm at like 50-50 maybe. The questions are good. Some yeah. of them are really hard. Yeah. My goal is to make sure that you think you could have a good guess or it's the tip of your tongue. I yep. try not to lowball it, but I do vary the difficulty. Yeah, they're good. They're really fun. And you put a lot of work into it. So yeah, going to do today's one again. Go give him a follow. He will. And so by the time you hear this episode, there should be a new one up. You can go back through, check out the question on the first slide. There's a buffer slide that uh, keeps you from seeing the answer too quickly. And then the last image will be your answer. So thanks for coming on, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks you for to you for listening. Thanks to my patrons for making all this possible. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys with more uh, potty casts in, in uh, two weeks. And uh, potty cast. I was trying to make it pod E and it sounded like potty. He's trained. <sighs> yeah, we, we think I'm trained. Anyways, all right, anyways, see you soon.